today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. read in Philippians 4, 7, it's a peace that passes all understanding. As we read in Luke 2, 29, it's a peace that's according to his word. As we read in Romans 8, 6, it's a peace that comes from being spiritually minded. We read in Ephesians 2, 14, it's the peace that is Christ, Christ himself being our peace. And it is a peace that comes from the one whom Isaiah declares is the very prince of peace. While mankind has definitely had a negative history regarding wars and conflict, we all typically desire a life of peace. In some cases, this desire for peace can be so overwhelming in certain individuals that the current state of the world can bring a great sense of hopelessness. In today's message, Pastor David reflects on the peace that's obtainable for each and every one of us in Christ. In our study, we learn about the peace that surpasses all understanding found in none other than the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, To Be Found in Him, from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you as also in all his apostles, speaking in, them, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scripture. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Last week, as we ended uh, the, the message last week, and we were looking at verse 11 and 12 there of that chapter, we read these words, Therefore, Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And as we looked at this idea of 
growing and being that manner or that type of person of holy conduct and godliness. I brought to your attention Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, and I spoke to you about the fact that within his book there were four points, and just to touch on those again real quickly to bring them to your memory. He said, number one, that growing in holy conduct, that growing in godliness in our life, that's, that's not our salvation, but because we are saved, we pursue after these things. Why? Because he says, number one, it's necessary for that continued fellowship with God. Oh, our relationship is still a son and daughter, but our sin can separate us in fellowship with him. We miss that communion time with him. The second point, he says, it's necessary for our spiritual and physical well-being because when we aren't pursuing holiness and godliness in our life, you know what? We don't stay neutral, do we? If we're not pursuing after holiness, we slide backward. We slide back into our sin. And because God is a loving heavenly father, he brings discipline in our lives. I'd ask for a show of hands of how many have experienced the discipline of God in our lives, but it would probably be all of us, okay? And the rest of you probably will because you're lying. But uh, anyway, it's because of God's great love for us. He will not allow us to continue on in a journey that dishonors his name if we're his child. He will bring correction in our life. The third thing that Bridges brings out, it's necessary, our our holy conduct and pursuing after godliness in our life, it's necessary to be of any kind of effective service to God because God desires to use clean vessels. And then fourthly, it's necessary as that assurance for our salvation, not in order that we might gain salvation, but to know that we are saved not simply because we said a prayer back 20 years ago or read a pamphlet or agreed with something, but because right now the Holy Spirit agrees with my spirit that I am a child of God. That's the assurance that we have in him. I also spoke about the joy that you and I ought to have as we look forward to the reality of that final day, that coming of the day of God, that day when, again, this whole material world, as, as Peter says here, is gonna be dissolved, uh, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Well, now, this morning, Peter goes on, and in verse 13, he says, nevertheless, even in, in, with all of these other things that are going on, he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look forward to that new heavens and to that new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it's not so much the fact that the old is going to be done away with or even that evil is going to get its final day and it's gonna be done with. It's gonna be the reality that there is a eternity that's now we're a part of, we're, we're in the very presence of that eternity. Oh, I know we are, but right now we're very physically limited. At that time and at that day, that lim- those limitations are gonna be gone. We're gonna be partakers of that new heaven and of that new earth. And for you and I as believers, man, that ought to be something that we're looking forward to, that we're anticipating in our lives. So the question comes is, how much do you really think about eternity? How much do you think of of the time beyond this world, beyond the limitations and the failings uh, and, and the weaknesses of the flesh and think about eternity in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of our groom, Jesus? Understanding that all this other stuff is just gonna be done away with. How much do you think about the end of these days and the beginning 
of everlasting. If you go to a movie today, you would, uh, as you go in and you say, well, the movie's supposed to start at six o'clock, so you get there a little early, make sure you get a seat, and at six o'clock, suddenly it starts, but not your movie. No, no, previews come on board, right? All these previews, previews, and they kind of figure, well, because this movie is this type of movie, then the previews, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, they will sort the previews out to be along the same line of what the movie is you're watching. And these previews, as they go, they're to allow you a time to kind of look at that movie and to determine, do, do I want to go see that movie when it comes out? Or as my wife and I often, we look at each other and shake our head, no, I'm not, no, we're not going to that one. John gives us a preview of eternity in the book of Revelation. And, and I think whenever you start getting overwhelmed by the cares and the concerns of this world, a great place for you and I to turn is to the book of Revelation. Keep your place in Second Peter. Flip over to the right, just a few pages, to the book of Revelation. Go to the end of Revelation, not quite the end, but chapter 21. And listen to this preview that John gives us of what awaits us. And again, be encouraged by this word. In Revelation chapter 21, John writing these words. Verse one, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's exactly what Peter is telling us. All all that we see here is gonna be done away with and there's gonna be a new heaven, there's gonna be a new earth. John says, and I saw that new heaven. I saw that new earth. He says, also, there was no more sea. And then in verse two, he says, and then I, John, I saw the holy city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to that time that death is completely done away with. Sin is now completely gone. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. The former things passed away. A little bit later in that same chapter, John continues to write verse nine. He says, and then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, come, and I'll I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, isn't it cool when we do weddings and all of a sudden that flare of the music comes on and whatever it might be and everybody turns around and here comes the bride in all of her beauty and all of her eloquence. You know what? That's you and I. That's you and I. The bride coming. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that time. He says, verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Down in verse 22, he says, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the lamb are its temple and the city had no need for the sun or for the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. 
And then over in chapter 22, he begins or continues on in verse one. He says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be written on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There'll be no need for lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Verse seven, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know what? You and I need to be a people that are looking for and hastening toward the day of the Lord. That's why we need to be the kind of people. We need to be those who, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All that Peter tells us here as we go back to 2 Peter. This this is a reality, this whole idea, this understanding that there is a heaven, that there is going to be a new earth and the new heavens, the the stars, all that we see is all going to be remade again. This is the very thing that, 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 again, encourages or inspires the poet's pen, the songwriter's pen, inspires the artist, inspires those with any kind of creative forces because, again, they look and they understand what the Word of God says and in all their creative forces, they write, they, they sing about that day, that time, that event that's going to happen, the reality that's there. We look forward to these things. We ought to be looking forward to them with an anxious anticipation. Lord, any day I'm ready. Any day, Lord, any day. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, even today. Amen? Amen. Peter goes on in verse 14. He says, therefore... Because of that, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, to be found by him, to be found by him in peace and without spot and blemish, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That whole idea of to be diligent. Peter uses that a little bit earlier when he says that you and I need to be diligent to make uh, our, our call and our election sure. And here he says we need to be diligent now to be found by him. And that word diligent means to, to, to use speed or to make every effort to be prompt, to be earnest, to make an endeavor, to labor toward those things. In other words, It's the idea of the importance of it all for us, that we would be found in him. As a matter of fact, in that thought and that idea, that that phrase, to be found by him, could be just as easily, and I believe better translated, to be found in him. 
Same, same word, but with a different meaning, but to be found in him. I want to be found in him when he comes for me. Found in him. The writer Edward Mott, he understood this back in the early 1800s when he penned these words. He says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We're to be found in him. And he says we're to be found in him in peace. And you know, of course, that's not the peace that the world gives. It's not a peace that's based even on the circumstances of our life. It's a peace that only comes from Christ. It's a peace, as we read in Philippians 4, 7, it's a peace that passes all understanding. As we read in Luke 2, 29, it's a peace that's according to his word. As we read in Romans 8, 6, it's a peace that comes from being spiritually minded. We read in Ephesians 2, 14, it's the peace that is Christ, Christ himself being our peace. And it is a peace that comes from the one whom Isaiah declares is the very prince of peace, to be found in him, to be found in peace. But he says also to be found in him without spot and blameless. And this is the work of our completed sanctification, that work that when we come to Christ, our sin, past, present, and future, are washed away because of what Christ did for us, did on our behalf. It's the work of that completed work that we are spotless and we are blameless. But beloved, don't forget that there's also that work of ongoing sanctification. You see, we are saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. We are sanctified, set aside, purified by the blood of Christ. We are, as we walk, going through a process of sanctification and holiness in our life. And at the end of our days, we will be totally holy. The flesh will be done away with. Well, we're right now, because I see you here this morning, we're right now in the middle of that, okay? We're in that ongoing work of our sanctification, and we are called to walk in holiness. We're called to walk in godliness. We're called to be obedient to the word of God in our lives. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's what Peter explained to us a little bit earlier. And then he goes on here to make a rather interesting statement. He speaks again uh, with the agreement of, of, of end times and coming judgment and the responsibility of the believer. He, he says, in essence, that Paul had that same understanding. And in verse 15, he says, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom that was given to him, has written to us. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to understand. That's kind of interesting. Peter, we know from his background, he was a fisherman. I'm not saying he was an ignorant man, but he wasn't among the learned ones. And yet we also learn in Paul's life, as Paul gives a testimony of his life, he says, man, I was trained from an early man. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest scholars, Jewish scholars of his time. He says, among my peers, I was excelling them all. Paul was an intelligent man. Paul was able to debate with the philosophers on Mars Hill. That's how intelligent this guy was. And many times as he writes, his writings are are deep waters. 
And we read through them, and sometimes it's stuff, man, this, I just really don't understand what he's saying. Well, Peter says that there are many that take these words that are sometimes hard to understand, and there are many who are untaught and unstable people, and they twist to their own destruction these words as they do the rest of the Scripture. Well, first of all, we see here, number one, that Peter and Paul, they were in agreement about the issues of the kingdom. Peter says, just like our brother Paul declares these things. Secondly, we see that Peter felt that some of these things were difficult to understand. And again, with the education of Paul and that of Peter, um, as, as one man says, it's great to have an education. It's great to be an educated pastor or minister of the gospel. It's great to be able to understand all the languages, the Greek and the Hebrew, and the history of the church. But when you come before a congregation, you need to make sure that you put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can enjoy them. If we speak totally over here, um, only a few might be able to receive it. We look at this and we see that even today, men and women, they're quoting, they're declaring scripture to, to make their points and yet they're pulling it out of the context in which it's written. They, they try to give it a meaning that's, that's absolutely foreign to the intention of the writer. And so they're going to lead a lot of naive. They're going to lead a lot of immature. They're going to lead a lot of unlearned believers into these false teachings. And it's going to be a shipwreck for their personal lives and their spiritual lives. Peter says, watch out for these guys. Thirdly, along with this, Peter equates the writings of Paul with Scripture. He says they twist his words just like they do the rest of Scripture. Undoubtedly, by this time, many of Paul's writings had, had been copied and, and sent out among the various churches. And because of his apostolic uh, uh, relationship, as well as being able to read it and understand, man, this is the Holy Spirit of God that's writing these things. These things were received as Scripture. Peter finishes up his letter of warning, his letter of encouragement to the church now with these words down in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He says, you, you, you know these things beforehand. Well, it wasn't simply that they knew that Paul's letters were going to be twisted. It wasn't even simply because they, they understood that, that scoffers and that false prophets were going to be within the fellowships and actually currently were in the fellowships. I believe that it was combined. It was all of these things. It was all of these warnings because Peter had written to them earlier because they had experienced in their own life these false teachers, this destructive heresies that would come into the church. And so he says, you know what? Since you know all of these things beforehand, beware, beware, be on guard. Peter speaks to them. He calls them beloved. He does this four different times within this one chapter. In verse one, he says, beloved, I now write to you the second time. Over in verse eight, he says to them, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Over in verse 14, he speaks, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him. And now in verse 17, you, therefore, beloved, since you know these things 
beware. I believe that Peter is writing to this church with the heart of a pastor, a heart that cares about the life and the well-being of the flock. He cares where the sheep are. He cares what, about what they're going through. He cares about the battles that they're fighting, and he cares about the fact that there are many that are coming in to try and destroy the sheep, to destroy the flock. so glad we were able to spend time with you today on The Open Word. We hope the message you heard has been encouraging and maybe even given you an incentive to dig a little deeper into the book of 2 Peter for yourself. Did you know that you don't have to wait to hear more teachings from The Open Word? Just visit our website, theopenword.com. We have a number of messages available there to listen to right now or download to hear at your convenience. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss a teaching. You're an important part of the ministry here at The Open Word. If you've felt a prompting to become more involved in this great ministry, listen up. Pastor David has a special message just for you. You know, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. Pastor David will continue teaching through 2 Peter when you join us next time on The Open Word. Cause